We are continuing in our Exodus series, The God Who Makes Himself Known. That is the series that we're doing. It will take us a while. If I was to preach all uh, on all of the aspects of the passage that I have today, I think we would be here for three days. So I'm not going to do that. We're, we're just going to pick something that I feel like uh, was pointed out to me in reading through the passage. But, um, but I think it's going to be a fun passage to look at. It's continuing the story. There are many, many lessons for us to learn in the school of life that God has put us in. And that's what we're going to be uh, discussing here this morning. So I'm going to read Exodus 4, 1 through 26, and, uh, and then we will pray. So starting at verse 1, Then Moses answered, But behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice, For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. The Lord said to him, what is that in your hand? He said, a staff. And he said, throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and he caught it. And it became a staff in his hand. That they may believe that the Lord the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has appeared to you. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. And he put his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. But Moses said to the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, Either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. I get that. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go and I will be with you, with your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, Oh, my Lord. Please send someone else. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know that he can speak well. Behold, he is coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth, and you will teach, and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people and he shall be your mouth and you shall be as God to him and take in your hand this staff with which you shall do the signs. Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law and said to him, please let me go back to my brothers in Egypt to see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, go in peace. 
And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. So Moses took his wife and his son and they had them ride on a donkey and went back to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the staff of God in his hand. And the Lord said to Moses, when you go back to Egypt, see that you that you do before Pharaoh all the miracles that I have put in your power. But I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord Israel, is my firstborn son. And I say to you, let my son go that he may serve me. If you refuse to let him go, behold, I will kill your firstborn son. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Then Sipporah took a flint and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it and said, Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me. So he let him alone. It was then that she said, A bridegroom of blood because of the circumcision. Let's pray. Lord, there's so much here that we could look at and there's not enough time to do that. So I pray, Lord, that you would provide wisdom and guidance, that you would help me not to go down different roads that are not helpful, but help me to communicate with your people your heart and your desire and your word. So help me now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Like I said, it's a long passage of scripture. There's so much in there. There's so many good things. And uh, I would just love to, to talk about it all, all day. In fact, I'm skipping pages already. Um, when we look at this passage... And we want to humbly look at this passage. Whenever we look at scripture and whenever we're, we're looking at what God is doing in someone's life, even in our own life, we want to look at things humbly. We want to go before the Lord with a humble look at what God is trying to say to us, what God is trying to do in the passage, in the narrative itself. You see, God has a plan, and he's making his plan clear, and he's telling these things to Moses, and he wants to use Moses to fulfill his plan, but he also wants to use us to continue to fulfill his plan. That's how God works, and he trains us as he's doing with Moses. He begins to mold us to the, what he wants us to become. He sanctifies us. He changes us. We're not the same. When we come to know Jesus as our Savior, he begins to change us. He begins to make us into what we're to become so that we can do his significant work. The Significance of Insignificance, that's the title of the message. We're too often we, we need to get a greater understanding of the significance of God and the part we play in that. And they're two, two opposite things. 
So in chapter 4, we see all of the responses that Moses has from chapter 3, the end of chapter 3, because God was saying, hey, I'm going to send you there. We're going to deliver everybody. You're even going to plunder Egypt. You're going to get all the gold. You're going to get all kinds of things. And then we get to chapter 4, and we see Moses' response. And he says he'd rather not do this. It's not his preference. That's not his thing. My main point this morning, though, is God takes away our significance so that we can do his significant things. God takes away our significance so that he can do significant things. We can get in the way of God's desires and plan for our life. We can mess, not mess them up, but we can, we can hinder things that God is doing in our own life God's plan is still going to stay the same. God can still use anybody to do what he wants, but if we want to be used, we can, we can be a hindrance. We can be, when we make ourselves the significant thing, when we make ourselves the greatest aspect, we're not being the servant. If you want to be greatest in the kingdom of God, you want to be a servant. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are, Scripture says. We need to look at those things and realize that there are major issues sometimes the way we're brought up, the way we function in society today, that we put ourselves in a place of great significance. And God looks at us and wonders, shakes his head, sometimes laughs, according to Scripture, See, we're vessels. We are clay in the potter's hand, Scripture says. And we want to take full advantage of that. So as we look at our passage, we want to see Moses' life. We're going to look at his life. It's an example for us, but it's also revealing to us what God is doing in Scripture to fulfill his plan. My first point is significant change, the process toward our insignificance. Significant change is the process toward our insignificance. When Moses first came to the burning bush, Moses hid his face and he ran. He was frightened. He was scared. And God begins to talk to him and Moses tells him, or he tells Moses what's going to happen. God reveals things to Moses, and Moses listens. This is the interesting thing. At first, he's, he's, he's really scared. He's seeing this bush burning. It's not being consumed. And then there's this voice, and, and God is speaking to him, and Moses listens. I know he listens. You know why I know he listens? Because he starts to ask questions. He's asking questions. A dialogue begins to happen. You might even say that Moses is praying, right? He's talking to God. He must be praying. So this is the prayer passage for you because anytime I'm up here, I have to talk about prayer. Moses is praying, okay? He's dialoguing with God. You know, Moses had a unique life. And I mean, his unique life, he was the basket kid for crying out loud. He was the kid they threw in the river and he floated down. Somebody in the royal family picks him up, raises him up. He's equipped by the Egypt people, the Egyptians. 
and now he's living this new life in Midian. He's had this adventurous life from the beginning, and now he's face to face with God. It's amazing. And Moses had, you know, everything going for him right now. He's, he's, he's in Midian. He's established a family. Moses has a kid now. He has sheep. Moses has sheep. And he's raising them and he's leading them around and he's having a great time. This is his life. And all of a sudden this burning bush comes and distracts him from that. And God is saying, it's time for another change. Moses even had a great father-in-law. And you know how hard it is for someone to like their father-in-law? Do you know that, Dan and Mark, how hard it is to like your father-in-law? But Moses had questions. And so he brings up scenarios in verse 1. Then Moses answered, but behold, they will not believe me or listen to my voice. For they will say, the Lord did not appear to you. In the New American Standard Bible, it says, what if? Yeah, we can say, but behold. Well, what if? What if they won't listen to me? What if they don't believe me that I saw you? This is where the relationship between God and Moses begins to change. Again, it's developing. Moses is learning a lot. Remember, Moses in the school of learning. He's in God's school of learning. It's different than what we've been going through. He's in God's school of learning. And God knows about Moses. He knows who he is. He knows what he is. He knows all his baggage. He knows his past, present, and he knows his future. But Moses is still learning about God. So he's asking questions. But the thing is, God answers him. That's That's the fun thing about this. God answers his questions. It may not be quite the way he would like to hear it. You know, people ask Jesus questions over and over, and he'd give them answers, and they just kind of stare at Jesus and, you know, and I, don't, I don't get it, you know. They didn't understand. But God is answering these questions in a way that Moses is surprised at times, very shocking things. But God really, when it comes right down to it, we want to be able to trust in God and that should be enough. We shouldn't have to ask questions all the time. And later on in life, if you look at Moses' life, and when God says something, he just goes and does it. He doesn't ask questions. But in the beginning, he's asking questions, and God knows where he's at. He knows what he needs. He's the kind of guy that needs information. Right now, are you one of those people that needs information? I just need the I'm a logistics guy, okay? I've worked in the logistics shipping realm for 25 years. I always saw this is the thing that has to go over here and I need to know how it's going to get there every step of the way. And I need to know every possible problem that I will run into and I still function that way and it drives everybody else crazy. So how do you do this? Where's it going to go? How's that going to happen? And this is what Moses is saying to God. What, what do you mean? Well, how's this going to, what if they do this? What if they do that? We need to be a people of faith and trust God. When we know what God wants us to do, we don't need to know the details. Moses wanted the details. But God is continuing Moses' education in this. He's trying to help him to see how he functions in this way. 
So he gives them more information. He knows it would help to tell them some more details. But he wants Moses to grow in that place of trust. He wants Moses to become that man of faith. Really, what he becomes is an example to us all. To learn, you know, this is interesting because in, in Acts, in the book of Acts, in chapter 4, um, the disciples, Peter and John, are arrested for sharing the gospel. And they're told never to preach in this name again, in the name of Jesus. Don't be sharing this. You know, the Jews tell them to stop it. And when they get back with the rest of the disciples, I want you to listen to this prayer. Because all of a sudden, it it opened my eyes. Because I've read this prayer, I don't know how many times. But as we were looking at this one, I went, "This, this this is something that I want to share. As they were praying, you know, a lot of times we say, Lord, you know, Keep them from hurting us. Lord, guide us as we do this so that we're hidden from their eyes or whatever we want to pray, you know, to just try to get the job done of what we think it is. But their prayer, the way they started out in, in verse 24, the end of verse 24, it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. This way he said, was Sovereign Lord. This is the way they, they approached God and they prayed in the book of Acts. And about starting at verse 27, it says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, they're acknowledging the fact that their ill treatment was predestined by God. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants, not to take it away, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. See, God's plan, God's plan is something that we have to realize is the most important aspect of what God is doing. It's not our lives, but what part do we play in it that will bring glory to God? What part can we play in it? And Moses was learning this. What part am I playing in this thing? Oh, I'm supposed to go back to talk to Pharaoh. I'm supposed to go back and, you know, tell him this is going to happen if you don't do this. Change was happening in his life. And it was changing who Moses was. God didn't just say, go back to Egypt, but he told him why he should go back to Egypt. He told him why. He was teaching him. He was, it was a teaching opportunity. And later on, like I said, Moses would say, okay, that's fine. So he gave him details, and he goes back to Pharaoh, and he says, talk to Pharaoh, talk to the people of Israel, envision them for what's going to happen in the next 11 chapters, and the people of God will believe, God says. 
They'll believe Moses. And Pharaoh's heart will be unresponsive. Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, he says. Plague's going to come. The firstborn's going to die. The people of Israel will be able to leave, though. And they'll be able to take the riches of Egypt with them. Moses is in a learning school. Can you imagine all this information he's getting? This is going to be mind-blowing. And the bush is still burning, and it's it's not burning up. He's still there. See, Moses was educated. He was educated in Egypt. He was educated. He got an education in the desert. He got an education in Midian. He learned to be a shepherd. He learned about family life. He learned how to relate to other people. And now he is learning who God is and how God is beginning to mold him into what he needs to be. But you see, now you see the significant thing about our life. Our life is that God wants us to know him. God wants to use us. God has put us in a school of learning and change and molding. That's what God is doing in our lives. God has given us information. It's the different information than what Moses had. See, we have the scriptures. Moses didn't have that. Moses wrote the scriptures. He didn't have that. We have the answers. So when we're asking questions, where should we go? We go to the scriptures. We're going to get more answers out of the Bible than we realize. We're, I don't know how many times, I do it myself, how many times I say, well, Lord, what about? What if? Behold, what is going to happen if I do this? Scripture tells us. I know all of us want a burning bush in their backyard. I know that's, that's the way that we like it. But that's not the way God works. And the word of God has everything in it. And it has the whole story. It has the complete story of God's plan. And we're a part of that. All the answers are in his word. And that's why we have to regularly read it. You know, Psalm 9-1, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my whole heart. I will recount all of your wonderful deeds. How are you going to do that? You're going to do it in the word. You're going to get those things out of the word of God. Verse 10 of Psalm 9, it says, And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. What an encouraging thing. Let's seek the Lord. He has not forsaken us. He will guide us. He will direct us. He will teach us. We will be molded, (coughs) molded into what God wants us to be. I wonder if I can edit that out. Anyway, I'm the one that edits the video. Um, so Moses is to learn how to trust in God, and so are we. We need to learn how to trust in God. You know, God knows the future, and that's what he's sharing with Moses because he made the plan. He knows the future. He has that plan. God wants to use a person. That is a freaky thing. God, the God of the universe, wants to use a person to fulfill his plan. He wants Moses to be part of something incredible, something significant to carry this plan out. God is saying, you learned how to be a shepherd 
now you're going to learn how to shepherd a large group of people across a vast land, and you're going to go to a new place. God is teaching. He's always teaching us. You know what? God knows your future too. He knows your future. God has and he will use things in your life to teach you. They may be unpleasant things at times, but he will do that. If you're a Christian, if you accepted Jesus as your savior, God's got you. He's got you. Now, does that mean there won't be any trials or difficulties? No, but God's got you. Does it keep us from ever getting sick? No, but God's got you. Does it keep you from ever losing a job or anything like that? No, but God has you. Does this keep the imaginary creepy thing under your bed from grabbing your feet? Yes, it does. And what it does mean that God is in control. Anything that comes our way, good or difficult, it's for our good. It's for our good, and God has us. And God will use it for his glory. So God takes away our significance so we can do his significant things. This brings me to my second point. What God gives is more significant than what we are. What God gives is more significant than what we are. We're raised this way. We really are. What do you, what do you want to be when you grow up? Now, when I, the big thing, when I was growing up, president was the big thing. You, you wanted to be president. Don't you want to be president when you grow up? I even remember little old Little Rascals movies. They'd ask them, what are you going to be when you grow up? I'm going to be the president, you know, and that was always a big thing. Maybe you want to be a corporate giant. That's probably more of what people want to do today. Some people want to make a difference in the world. They want to make, make their mark in the world in some way that's going to, to help mankind. Or maybe your dreams and desires aren't quite as spectacular. Maybe you just want to have a family, a house with a white picket fence. Be liked. I just want to be liked by everyone. That's my, my desire when I grow up. Have enough money. That's a biggie. I just want to do something significant. They don't know what it is. God has a response to significance for us in our passage. And I want to define significance because I think that's important as we look at this. Significant means the quality of being worthy of attention. Are you worthy of attention? I am worthy. Yes, give me your attention. That's the quality of being worthy of attention. It's important. You're an important person. You're significant. The problem is we all feel that we're worthy of attention. Our lives, if we're not treated well at the grocery, how dare the cashier treat me this way? Or how dare that person cut me off on the highway? I am a person of importance. This is the way our mentality tends to fall. We see our lives as important. Our own significance is the greatest hindrance in being used by God. 
we aren't humble enough to allow God to use us and change us. And we see in this passage how God, in answering Moses' question, also changed his view of himself. And this is what we want to look at. So Moses, again, brings up the question, what if they don't believe or listen? They might say, the Lord didn't appear to you. And the answer is, what do you have in your hand? This is the answer to the question, what do you have in your hand? He says, a staff. He says, throw it on the ground, and it becomes a serpent, and Moses runs from it. And God says, pick it up by the tail. Now, there are a lot of things we could say about the significance of the the staff and the snake, and there are a lot of things. I've heard sermons on them, and how the staff is the source of security for Moses, and he'd have to lay it down, and he'd be laying down his security. You know, there's all kinds of things. How the snake is handled. You don't grab a snake by the tail. Come on, you grab it by the head. That's what you should do. All snake handlers know that. Uh, how, how Egypt worshipped the snake, and maybe this was emotionally unsettling for Moses. I don't know. Maybe that was something that was going on. How the serpent symbolizes Satan, but is controlled by God. There's a lot of different things we could get at, but this isn't what I want you to see. What God gives is more significant than what we are. Okay? God uses the insignificant things to do the significant. The man has a stick. That's what he's got. The man has a stick. There's nothing special about the stick itself. It is a stick. Okay? That's what Moses has. He's got a stick. It doesn't have magical powers. It is a stick. But with God, it can be whatever God wants it to be. God uses many insignificant things throughout Scripture to do incredible things. Joshua marching around Jericho. And what do they do? They blow ram's horns. And the walls come tumbling down. Gideon, clay jars and torches in the hands of 300 men, and they were able to do what God wanted them to do. David against Goliath. What does Goliath ask? Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? That's how it sounds in the Veggie Tales. Are you a dog that comes with me with sticks? (laughs) Veggie Tales. Am I a dog? David got him with a sling and a stone. David picked up five stones. He only needed one. God used the insignificant things to do the significant. And it's incredible. Peter and John in the book of Acts, Acts 3 this time, they are the insignificant things. Peter and John are. They, they say, they go up to the lame man in Acts chapter 3 and they say, silver and gold, have I none? Makes me want to clap twice. Silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, give I thee. That's how I learned that passage. Anyway, silver and gold, have I none? But what I do have, I give. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he did. 
In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. And he did. And it says he was walking and leaping and praising God. And in Acts uh, 3, 11 and 12, we're going to look at that. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people uttered astounded, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? This is the part I want you to see. Why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? They were the insignificant. And God did it. It was something that God had done. God uses the insignificant to do significant things. Moses throws down the stick and it becomes a snake. Moses picks up the snake and it becomes a staff. Moses would never see that staff the same way again. Whenever he leaned on it, he would be reminded about reliance upon God. What God gives is more significant than what we are. God wanted Moses to realize his insignificance so he could be used by God. When our significance is the most significant when we become the center of the universe, when we are the most important, obstacles rise up in our lives. We have pride. We have arrogance. We have hesitation. We have self-preservation. We have lots of questions. And we have planning. We've got a plan. At this point in Moses' life, the staff becomes more significant in God than he is. I would say that we need to be like the stick. We need to be the stick. Be the stick. (laughs) Be the stick. Be insignificant in yourself. Be the insignificant tool in God's hand. Be the stick. Now, God wants to show Moses something else. And he says, put your hand inside your cloak. And when he takes it out, it's all white with leprosy, which was an extreme disease back then. It can be also translated just skin problem. But we'll call it leprosy because scripture does. And if you had leprosy at that point in time, you were banned from the city. You, you, you lived in a leper colony. They still have leper colonies today, believe it or not, but they, they have a cure for leprosy. But there are leper colonies still out there today. Um, but if you, if you thought the rod turning into a snake was frightening, if you take your hand out and you're leprous, that must have just freaked him out. That must have scared him like nothing else would have been devastating. God says, put your hand in again into your shirt and take it out, and he was healed. What's God saying? God's saying, if I can use the stick, I can also use the hand to hold the stick. I can use your hand with that stick. Now, there's also a symbol of the cleansing of the heart and the forgiveness of sin and all of that as well. But we're talking about just using the insignificant things, becoming the insignificant things so that God can use us. 
God says, if both those signs don't work, take water from the Nile, pour it on the sand, and it'll become blood. God's power is the working of miracles. When it comes to you and me, that's what he's done. He's worked a miracle. He saved us. It is God's spirit that changes us from death to life, from an object of God's wrath and punishment to an adopted child of God. The significant one is God. This brings me to my third point. Jesus is our significance. I think Paul in Romans has something for us to help us understand our significance. If you read Romans chapter 7, it's just talking about just the spiritual battle that we, we deal with. It's the struggle with sin that's going on. Without God, we are truly insignificant. Passages like, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. Or wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? That's in that chapter. It's Jesus who delivers us. He will do it. Thanks be to God, it says. Romans 8, one of the most envisioning and enlightening chapters in the Bible, is full of what God has in mind for us, his promises and his plan. Romans 8, 1 and 2. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Romans 8, 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things, ah, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. He uses everything for our good because that is our education. He's training us. He's using us. He's opening up our eyes to what he's doing in our lives. Romans 8, 31 and 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God has us. He's got you. And then you see how Paul practically walks it out. God's significance in Colossians 1.29. For this I toil, struggling with all what? His energy. His energy. And he powerfully works within me. God is the one that does the work. We are the vessel. You see, God is taking care of it all. He has a significant plan, and the plan hasn't changed, and it continues on to save God's people for his glory by giving his son to die for our sins, to make us children of God, to see we don't have to worry about what the future holds. God's got it. You don't need to know the details of where God is going to take you. You don't need to know what your life is going to look like in 30 years. Not just because it'll scare you to death, but just because God's got it. He knows the future, what he wants to do. And what we want to do is to live for God. Be significant in your your insignificance. Be the stick. Be the stick. Be used by God. He has a plan. It's a good plan. God had a plan for the people of Israel. God had a plan for Moses. He's got a plan for you as well. 
God gave Moses signs of authority. He gave him the name of God, I am, which Bauer talked about last week. He gave him the name of God. He gave him the staff of God. And he gave him a hand and a heart to do the work. If you want significance, you'll find it in Jesus. Make him your Lord and make him your Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the lessons that we can learn, that are practical, Lord. Thank you that we can really come to you with a, with a, a sense of your awesomeness, with, a, with the idea that our life is only rich and full when you are in the center of it. Lord, help us. Help us to be the stick. Help us to be the vessel that's used for your glory. The people will come to know you. Lord, that you will bring about your purposes. And Lord, that your glory would be made known throughout all the earth. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.